my message is going to be creativity of God and marveling at his masterpiece. And it's, that's God's intro, really. So if you've ever managed to just look up at the stars on a clear night and you see the sheer brilliance of God's creation, and that's exactly what I was doing a few, the other morning. Um, I was sitting in the spa while it was really nice and dark outside first thing in the morning, and I was just gazing into the vast nothingness, and I just began thinking about God. I was looking at the stars and I'm seeing some of the, the nebula clouds that you sometimes get to see. And I was just thinking, like, how did this universe all just come to be? The message this morning is not about Genesis story versus science, creation versus science, or getting any kind of, into any kind of scientific evidence for creation, but it's just a message on the sheer brilliance of God's creativity and looking at his masterpieces and going through that. So in the beginning, Genesis 1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is further confirmed in many places throughout the Bible about God cre- God's creating and his creativity being made perfect. Whereas in Colossians, it further says, by him all things were created. The creation of the heavens and the earth is the very first concrete, historical, and scientific fact that came to be. Well, because it happened. Something happened. But the text doesn't simply tell us when it happened. But only that it was sometime before the preparation of the land for humans to dwell with God. So we know that in the beginning... See, in the beginning, it means that there was an inauguration, not, but not when the moment actually was. So there was an inauguration of it. Therefore, Genesis 1 leaves open both the possibilities of a young earth and an old earth, which is actually okay because it doesn't remove the fact that God created it. Okay? So in Genesis 1.1, the word used for creation is the Hebrew word bara which means creation from nothing, so from absolute nothingness. The other word used in the creative sense in Genesis is asa, which my pronunciation may not be there, but bear with, which is translated to make or made, which means that we fashion or to shape it or make something suitable, such as making like loincloths or clothing out of um, cotton and um, making the ark or making beds out of wood from the trees. See, Barra emphasizes the initiation of an object, whereas Asa emphasizes the shaping of an object. Along with statements where God does the initial creation, the heavens and the earth, the only other things that are Barad are the living creatures and human beings, nothing else. When people create, we do Asa. We don't do Barra. We take the things that God has given us, such as seeds to plant in the land um, and land to plant crops and to harvest food. But in doing so, we're not creating food from nothing, but rather creating it from a gift that God has given to us through creation. So thinking about creation and the reasons why, well, I don't think God needed a reason to create. He actually just created us. He created the universe just for the sheer joy of doing it. He wanted to. There was no reason for it. It was just he wanted to. And a simple illustration is the same as when I give my kids a blank piece of paper and some crayons, right? They draw a picture on the, pic- on the picture and they make a creation and they do their thing and they do it just for the sheer joy of it. They don't do it because there's a reason, sometimes maybe to put it on the fridge or something, but when they're doing that process, they're just doing it because they enjoy it and it's just the sheer joy. 
From the very onset, God demonstrated his boundless creativity by fashioning our magnificent universe just out of nothing, out of a breath, out of a word. From here, the earth was formed and created. And as we read through the Genesis um, account, next came nature, and then, the, and then came the very jewel or the pinnacle of all God's creation, us wonderful people sitting in the room, humans. So let's take a look at the different components of God's creation. Because Romans says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for knowing God. So the first component is the universe. Some, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis is a renowned Christian author and theologian, and probably everybody may have known the name, it's very popular, um, expressed his thoughts on the universe in various writings. And he describes the universe as this great dance. And he described the harmonious and interconnected nature of the universe. He envisioned that God is the choreographer of the universe. He, he made it. And he was the choreographer of the dance where everything from the celestial bodies to living creatures plays its part in the grand design of creation. His writings about the universe reflect deep appreciation of God's creation. And that's probably what I was thinking when I was sitting in that spa that morning, my appreciation of what God's creation is doing. His belief was in a purposeful universe, his longing for a higher reality beyond our physical realm. He writes, Behold the heavens above, adorned with countless stars and galaxies, each one meticulously placed by a creator's hand. God's artistic prowess is displayed through the vastness and splendor of the cosmos. Consider the intricate designs of each celestial body, the perfect orchestration of orbits, and the breathtaking beauty of nebulas and supernovas. See, the universe itself, just thinking about that, stands a testimony of the limitless imagination of our God. Unlimited imagination. We've got another slide there to click over. Cool. Next, we're going to look into the second part of the creation story, is nature. If we look just at scripture, we can find numerous passages that speak about God's relationship with nature. The verse in, in, in Genesis, or these verses, emphasize God's role as a creator, but also as the sustainer of our natural world. And it highlights his power, his wisdom, and his care for all of creation. We don't just need to look at the Bible, though, to marvel at the splendor and the creation that God has put forward. Just look outside. Just look out the windows. Spend time in your garden, if you have a garden. We'll go for a walk. Spend time in nature. See the intricate work being done from the microbioorganisms that we can barely see with our, with our eyes to the little insects that are just doing their thing to, and all living creatures on the earth, be that fauna or flora. In the very first verse of the Bible we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. See, this statement alone establishes God's authority as the ultimate creator of the entire universe, including all living beings in the natural world. And who knows what is out there? It's not for us to know. We don't. We find verses that proclaim how nature reveals God's glory and his majesty. 
See, in Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour, uh, pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The beauty and the complexity at the same time of our natural world are just seen as a testament of God's greatness. This is my reflections of um, what I was seeing. <laughs> Matthew, Jesus teaches us, you know, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap anything, and they do not store away in barns. Yet our Heavenly Father feeds them, and He looks after them. Are you not much more valuable than they? This very verse emphasizes God's loving care for all living creatures. Jesus encourages us to trust in God's provision, knowing that He takes care of His creation. See, the Bible also highlights God's control over nature and its elements as well. And I love what Psalm 104 says. It describes God as one who sustains the earth, provides water for the animals, and sets the seasons in motion so that the world can function and do what it's doing. This psalm portrays God's sovereignty apologies, over his creation too. But you know, we do live in a fallen world, and I do acknowledge that. Our key job from the very beginning was to do one thing, was to look after the world, was to look after nature. And if we're actually truly honest with ourselves, I don't think we're doing a very good job of it. No. More and more species of animals are becoming extinct in the world. Between 2010 and 20, uh, 2019, um, 2010, so not 2010, 2010, 2019, more than 160 species alone have disappeared, and the rate is unfortunately growing. If you look at the rate of pollution in the world too, you just can't describe how bad it actually is. And for those that have been overseas and seen some of the parts of the world, like we live in a gorgeous country, a gorgeous part of the world where we look after things relatively well. But some of the places I've visited, yeah, it's pretty bad out there. And you can't really describe it. Those are, those are undescribable things. And look at that. Hey? The length this morning was incredible. <laughs> you see, whilst we see the destruction of nature happening all around us, we can't deny that it is happening. But you know there's something? There is hope. And God and the Bible points us to that hope. Paul writes in Romans 8 about the longing of creation for redemption. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and from decay and brought into the freedom and glory into the children of God. This particular passage suggests that in the fallen state of creation... It will be restored as, and it will be renewed as part of God's ultimate plan for redemption. Revelation speaks of a new heaven and a new earth and a place where everything will be restored to the intent and to the glory of what God intended it to be for, his, for God's purposes and also how God originally had made it. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited to see well, what kind of weird and wonderful creations there are that we've never encountered before when it's our, t- when it's our turn to see the new earth and the and new heaven. I think there'll be some amazing creatures out there and plants and animals that we have no idea what God's imagination is doing, which is really cool. Finally, humanity. When we look through the Genesis creation, we talk now about humanity. We are considered the crown jewel of all of creation. Look around you. There's jewels all sitting in the room. <laughs> Say to your husband and your wife, you are a crown jewel. (laughs) The final masterpiece. 
some blushing happening over that corner over there. <laughs> God's final masterpiece, right? The pinnacle of God's artistic expression. We are told, sorry, I just, the words come into my head, the artistic expression, and when we look around, a wolf. I don't know, God, I'm not sure about that particular expression out there in nature, but hey, who are we? We are told that we are fashioned in his image. We bear the mark of his creativity within us. It's not just physical appearance, it's also inward. Our ability to create, to love, and to experience emotions is a glimpse of the divine nature that God has bestowed upon us. See, we are to use our creativity to honor God. We we are to use our talents and our abilities as gifts, because they are gifts, sorry. We are to use them for a greater purpose. We are to use our talents and our abilities as gifts that God has given us for a greater purpose, and it's his purpose that we are to use them for. However, sadly, I don't think we're actually doing that anymore. I believe humanity is slipping further and further and further away from the intended purposes that God designed for us. And I don't believe many humans out there are reflecting, unfortunately, the image of God and what we are called to do. And it's sad. Regardless, though, God still loves us. So regardless of what humans are doing, God still loves us. And it's hard to believe it when you see the disturbing images and the media and you see what humans are doing to each other and to his creation. But he still loves us. And we've got to fathom that. We've got to think that. that He loves us and he loves them. Throughout the Bible, God's love and compassion for humanity are emphasized all throughout. The most famous verse in John 3.16 is a very well-known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So God's desire for all people, for every single one of his creation, is to come to repentance and to come and receive salvation. That's his desire for us. The Bible acknowledges humanity's fallen nature, and it's due to sin, unfortunately. Romans 3 tells us in 23 states, for all have sinned and All of us fall short of the glory of God. Sin creates this barrier between us and between God. It creates a barrier between humanity and God and God's intended purposes for us. And it leads to a separation from God. I think when we look and we think, you know, reflecting on Jesus dying on the cross. Sorry, my help is um, a little bit behind on some slides. (laughs) When we reflect, why was Jesus in agony and in pain? It was because of the separation that he had to endure on the cross from his father. And he took the sin upon himself and was separated from God. And that was more agonizing than the nails. It was more agonizing than the crown. It was more agonizing than the spear in the side and the the beatings. But it was that separation that he'd never, ever encountered before. And that was the cry for help. However, God did provide a solution through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we can be reconciled to himself. God's plan for humanity's redemption is actually a central theme all throughout the Bible, from the very beginning all the way through to the very end. The beginning and the end had a purpose, and the purpose was to know and understand and reveal Jesus so that we can be reconciled to our creator. Through Jesus Christ, God offers forgiveness of sins, And he offers eternal life to all who believe in him. And I love that because I don't see that in any other faith or any other religion. 
of a reconciliation with your creator only through Christianity and through belief in Christ. And in Romans 6.23 reaffirms this. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as his jewel, as his pinnacle of creation, out of all of God's creation, only we are offered this particular gift. We are also offered guidance and we're also offered direction. And I think um, the acronym of Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the Bible provides us that guidance. It also provides us wisdom for humanity and how we should live in alignment with God's will. It's also um, not just using the Bible, but also you know, connecting with other Christians and others that are acting within wisdom. Psalm 119 declares, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light for my path. God's word serves as a source of instructions and it serves as a direction for our life. Why does it do that? Well, God desires a personal relationship with each individual, with each and every single one of us. Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. The door is our heart. If anyone hears my voice, And opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. And I love the beauty of that scripture. I stand, I'm here, I'm knocking. Will you open your heart and welcome me in? If I can have my wonderful musos up, ready to rock and roll. Do we need an intro song? (laughs) God's creativity knows no bounds. And in his masterpiece of creation, we find evidence of his love and for his care for us. If we let us use our creativity to honor God, to bring glory to his name, and to make the world a more beautiful and compassionate place. And as we do so, we will find ourselves drawing even closer to the heart of the one who is the source of all creativity and all wonder. So this morning, as we leave church this morning, after we've had a fellowship, a cup of tea, and other things can I just encourage you to take a moment at some point whether it be today or during the week just to acknowledge you know acknowledge God look at nature and see the beauty and intricacies of what he's created look at the beauty of of creation admire the creator not creation look at the stars tonight we should be able to see them tonight because it's clear Um, and admire the creativity of God the heavens declare your glory Lord And after that, if that doesn't really convince you, then perhaps take a long, longing look into your wife, your husband, or your partner's eyes and see the pinnacle of God's creation. (laughs) 